It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Economist. From The Economist in London, this is Money Talks, a weekly program about news in the worlds of business, finance and economics. I'm Edward McBride, the finance editor. Until this weekend, few had heard of Mossack Fonseca, a law firm based in Panama. But the leak of a trove of documents relating to offshore companies it had helped set up for customers from all over the world has made it an overnight celebrity. Among Mossack Fonseca's clients were friends or relatives of Xi Jinping, China's president, and Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, among other public figures. The law firm says it has not been involved in anything untoward, but officials in several countries, including America and Britain, say they are examining the leaked papers, presumably in search of evidence of tax evasion or other financial crimes. Here with me to discuss the so-called Panama Papers are Matthew Valencia, our investigative editor, and Philip Coggan, our Buttonwood columnist. Matthew, let's start with you. This is being called the biggest financial leak in history by some Is it that big a deal? It is. We've had several leaks over the years since the onset of the financial crisis and people starting to care more about tax evasion, tax avoidance, money laundering and the like. There was a a large leak a year or two ago involving Luxembourg. There was another one involving Switzerland, clients of banks in in Geneva. But they really pale in comparison to this one. It's several terabytes of data, 11.5 million documents. It really is an absolute whopper in terms of the raw data. It's hundreds of times the size of the famous WikiLeaks dump from, from a few years ago, to put it in perspective. And, and all these millions of documents, they basically show a world in which wealthy people or people connected to wealthy people set up companies and then use those companies to shuffle money around. Is that right? And is it always related to something untoward? Or, or could it be sort of legitimate activity? Absolutely, it could. And a great deal, perhaps the vast majority of what was in those 11.5 million documents could be legitimate activity. The journalists involved, a group of investigative journalists under the umbrella of the ICIJ, the International Consortium of, of Investigative Journalists, they haven't put out all of the documents. One reason is they say, look, you know, a lot of this stuff is perfectly legitimate. And, you know, they're highlighting the activities that aren't. I mean, there are, there are, you know, various reasons why people and companies would use offshore financial centers legitimately in the case of companies to avoid double taxation sometimes. In the case of individuals, they might fear kidnap or extortion in their home countries and, and want privacy for legitimate reasons. But the truth is there's plenty of abuse. We see that in these documents, uh, in, in some of the stories which have been highlighted. The abuse that takes place often involves secretive shell companies and trusts and so on. So, so go on, g- give us a little flavour of some of the more salacious uh, details. Who, who are some of the individuals whose relatives or friends appear in the trove and what are some of the transactions that journalists are honing in on? Well, there are lots of interesting transactions involving, for instance, the circle around Vladimir Putin. One of the uh, the banks, uh, the Russian banks, which has been uh, sanctioned by the United States, Bank Russia, which is known to be close to uh, the Russian president and some of those around him. Numerous 
transactions involving that bank, family members and associates of the Chinese leader and other top officials in China, the Prime Minister of Iceland. It appears from the uh, from the papers that he had an undeclared interest in the country's banks. One of the transactions that he did in the shadows appears to have been a, a sort of a sale of a big share in a company to his own wife at the knockdown price of $1. There are also numerous transactions highlighted involving companies that were that were subject to sanctions. Mossack Fonseca serving uh, a number of figures close to the Syrian regime, for example, including a cousin of Bashar al-Assad, who um, has been described by um, the Americans in cables and elsewhere as a, a, a poster boy of corruption. Right. But so what Mossack Fonseca would say, indeed has been saying about all of this, is, you know, it's not been found guilty of any crimes, hasn't done anything wrong, it's got a long, unblemished reputation, and that it isn't a crime to set up companies, as you point out, that could be legitimate uh, uses for these companies, that if the companies are subsequently put to illegitimate use, it's a bit like selling someone a car and then complaining to the manufacturer when the when the driver's speed is... How solid is is that sort of uh, explanation? Right. Well, it's certainly true that the law firm has never been charged with wrongdoing. It insists that it always does thorough due diligence on its clients. I think that's now you know open to question, and that will be looked at. And and another question here is what exactly should the responsibilities and the expectations of the law firms, the service providers that deal with with these companies be? There's a live debate at the moment in Britain and elsewhere about toughening up the obligations on on law firms and other service providers that interact with shell companies and those who set them up. Philip, let, let's bring you in here. I mean, what, what can governments do? I mean, given it's very murky what goes on in these offshore accounts, given that there are many different players involved, some of whom might be unaware of what's happening, is there a way for the government of, of the United States or Britain, let's say, to somehow try and, and put a stop to the kind of abuses that may be going on in, in offshore locations? I think there is a conceivable way, yes. You have to understand that some of these locations are British overseas territories, for example, British Virgin Islands. The US, within its own borders, has Delaware, where lots of sort of off-the-peg companies are created. And we've written in the past, Matthew has written in the past, about how much money is secreted away in, in such businesses. And so there has been three or four decades of official connivance at, at what is happening. Could the governments crack down on it? Yes, I think it's plausible they could. Are you, are you saying that even as the authorities harumph about the release of leaks like this that hint at, at hidden money elsewhere, they could be doing much more to find the hidden money at home? Is, is the... Yes, the British government is moving in one direction to try to have a register of beneficial owners. But I don't see why the OECD couldn't declare that if a company is based in those places which they consider to be aiding and abetting tax avoiders, that there should be a withholding tax based on any income paid to those owners. So you can name whichever centres you like, and unless the beneficial owner is declared, you impose a withholding tax. Why haven't they done that? It's it's hard to know, probably because they cannot get international agreement and that some countries worry that others will steal a march on them if they do it. But it, it's taken decades for them to come up with the agreement for the OECD to try and look into BEPs, as they call it, base erosion and profit shift shifting for companies. And it's only perhaps the public distrust and displeasure at the, uh, the crisis that is causing them to move now. Well, let's come back to the public distrust in a second. But but you, you hinted, Philip, that, that 
there has been a bit of a movement to try and crack down on this kind of thing. That's right, isn't it, Matthew? Tell us a bit about what's been going on. I think we need to differentiate here because, I mean, on tax avoidance and tax evasion, tax avoidance by large companies, tax evasion by by individuals, there has been movement. I mean, perhaps not enough, but we've seen the BEPS process that Philip mentioned, which is an OECD process with regards to corporate tax avoidance. On the tax evasion side, there really has been a transparency revolution. You know, we've seen the uh, FATCA, the American law that cracks down on Americans evading tax using, using foreign banks. In the wake of that, the common reporting standard introduced by the OECD. And it really is getting quite a lot harder to to evade tax in other countries. Part of the problem, though, is these shell companies that we were talking about earlier. If you can use shell companies, trusts, these things in combination in structures to hide the fact that you're an individual, make yourself look like some sort of a corporate entity, you might still be able to get away with it. And that's something that really needs to be, to be focused on. Of course, that's where you also see proceeds of corruption, pure criminal money, money laundering going on through these, these kinds of entities. And so is that something that the register that, that Philip mentioned that the British government is setting up of trying to reveal the, the real ultimate beneficial owners of, of companies like that? Will that help? What are the limitations of just one country doing it? Yeah. But a public register helps. But obviously, if, if, if only one or a few countries do it, then it doesn't help very much. You really need it to be adopted across the world. And, you know, there are some obviously who hope that it will it will catch on and over the next five or 10 years will really start to happen. Obviously, the Panama Papers, these kind of leaks probably help in that regard. But it's really important if you have a public register, it's really important that it's done the right way. For instance, that the penalties are draconian enough you know, for, for those who just lie about you know who's behind the companies. And while we as a newspaper think that it's desirable for registers to be public, they don't absolutely have to be. I mean, the, probably the most important element of it is that there's good information there and it's available to tax authorities, the police and so on. It's a bonus if it's, if it's also available to uh, the public more generally. Speaking of the public, Philip, this plays into the hands of the populists around the world who are gaining in popularity, leading in various elections, and who seem to think that the rich are unaccountable. This is how they appear from from these uh, documents, isn't it? Yes, I think it does. Um, it's very much being played out in the media. This is a story of the global elite uh, avoiding taxes. And while Matthew mentioned people in Russia and China, there are people in Western democracies who've set up these companies as well. David Cameron's father is the big story of the day in Britain, who's uh, involved in one of these offshore companies. And I think that's crucial because... We've gone through seven or eight years of austerity since the financial crisis. We've seen higher taxes and benefit cuts for ordinary people. And the sense that the global elite is getting away with it by not paying any taxes at all only fuels the anger. I don't think many people in the Western democracies can think of a legitimate reason to set up a company in Panama. This is quite distinct from the idea that you need some sort of lower corporate taxes to attract multinationals to your shores. This is not what this is about at all. Uh, This is about it not being clear who owns an asset. And it's very hard for the public to understand why that should be allowed and why in Britain, for example, so much property is owned through offshore companies. So I think this story is only going to build as these uh, papers come out. And you've seen it happen in the past with Swiss tax leaks, uh, with other leaks of information. In Britain, we had the MPs' expenses scandal, where over a period of uh, weeks and months, more and more revelations come out and people will get more and more cynical 
about what's going on. And that only fuels the appeal of the Trumps and the Le Pens and so on. So on the one hand, populist anger, but on the other hand, presumably the political pressure to take more of the kinds of measures that Matthew's been talking about, uh, to try and crack down more perhaps in the case of Britain, to do something about the British Virgin Islands, over which the Prime Minister of Britain has actually great authority, and and where the majority of the companies set up by Mossack Fonseca were incorporated. Is something like that likely in your view? Well, Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour leader, has called on a direct rule of Britain over these countries, which is interesting, uh, appeal to colonialism on his part. What quite would happen if the countries then declared independence, I'm not not sure. But yes, it's pretty hard for the British government to argue that these places, treasure islands, somebody has dubbed them, that have basically being an offshore financial centre as their main raison d'etre are outside completely the control of Britain. There's nothing that we could do. So so Britain has put some pressure on these, these overseas territories in recent years, but they've pushed back and said that they don't want to introduce public registers. But there is actually a, a precedent not, not, not too long ago, in 2009, the Turks and Caicos was hit by scandal and was plagued by corruption. Britain did go in and essentially take over the running for a while of, of, of the island. When Jeremy Corbyn calls for that, it may seem a bit far-fetched, but uh, it wasn't too long ago that it happened in the case of another dependency. So the prospect of, of Britain's uh, tiny tropical dependencies being reined in, and then also the prospect of, as Philip says, more scandal to come, right, Matthew? Oh, that's right. We'll see more from, from these papers, more revelations. I mean, there's a huge amount of data there. We're in the age of the leaker now. We're bound to see more leaks coming out from other law firms, financial institutions, and so on. I think, you know, with the public mood having shifted, uh, it seems that more and more employees at these um, companies might now be, be more tempted to go to the media or go public with it. Uh, Good news for taxpayers, good news for journalists. Um, That's all we have time for this week. Thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you very much, Philip. Don't forget, if you want to be part of the conversation, you can tweet us at econbizfin and at econeconomics. And you can find our take on the Panama Papers both in the upcoming print edition of The Economist and on our website at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. Economist. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.